Hello and welcome to the Wicked Ones podcast. This is Jen. And this is Tara. And how are you this fine evening, Tara? I can't say that I'm too bad. It's been a pretty good week. That's um, good. Yeah, yeah. We got to enjoy snack day. Oh, snack day. <laughs> snack day was fun, even though we forgot to take pictures. <laughs> it's like snack day never happens, then we have to do it again. Yeah, just that's what I told Billy. <laughs> I said, well, we're going to have to do this at least once a month now because... It was amazing. Oh my gosh. We had like how many hours of, I think we watched eight episodes, right? Of yeah. Reckoning. Reckoning. That mm-hmm. was so good. It was good. Of no, course. I can't wait to watch the rest, but I feel like we have to watch it together. Yeah. Another so it snack might be day. another. It might be another. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> it might I think another snack day. We only have a few episodes left. And so if you guys uh, want a good show about a serial killer. Reckoning on Netflix is, mm-hmm. is a good one. Yeah, it's good. You can laugh at it a little bit, too, with some of the... Oh, yeah. We had some comments. It was like Mystery Science Theater 3000 in there. We yeah. We were commenting every... <laughs> but it's still pretty good. Yeah. It still yeah. is enough. You know me. I Nothing holds my attention. So if I can sit through eight episodes... Yeah. It had me. It had me. We did have chocolate there, so... And lots of snacks. <laughs> that kept you going, lots too. Lots of snacks. Um, yeah, I don't know, I'm trying to think of other, other show, we were talking about another show the other day, what were we talking about, that the kids really liked? Oh, my kids started the... watching The Mass Singer. Yeah. And I was super irritated, because I thought it was dumb, but then I realized it wasn't, um, when they made me watch it. Yeah. They were watching, they started back at season one, I don't even know what they're on now, but I think it was season one. Ava really wants to watch it, too. And once they started... Because it just seems silly, right? These people wearing these costumes and I, you know me, I just don't have the patience or I, my attention span well, is so really short and either. I didn't know. And then after talking to the kids and they really genuinely love the talent of the characters mm-hmm. and they, and Stella, my oldest, she really pointed out the fact that how the judges can only judge them solely on their talent mm-hmm. that the costumes you don't know what they look like yeah. you don't know who they are you can't judge a thing no age sex mm-hmm. nothing so then i it found a soft spot in my heart yeah well and then you were telling me about t-pain yes. and i know you have a soft spot for comeback stories I and do. it was a good one i do yeah it was a good one and he's a his voice is fantastic he has some serious talent he does. And he then does. it was Jay Z, sorry dude, you were wrong. <laughs> it was not nice. No. It was not nice. Even a bunch I there's a bunch of them out there that were not nice. And I really I enjoyed telling the story of T Pain to the girls. They were like, You know who he is? <laughs> yes, yes, I do. And telling them like what happened to him and because yeah. he announced on the show that this was his comeback and they wanted to know why, what happened to him. So I told mm-hmm. them all about it and so it was kind of cool. A little yeah. bit of nostalgia. So Well, and it's a good lesson. It's a good lesson for the kids. It is a good lesson. And now I guess we are going to be fans of the Mass Singer. Mm-hmm. Oh, we ne- we need to catch up for yeah, sure. I haven't I... seen any anything. I just watched the compilation the other day of T Pain. T Pain his and it was so, so good. So good. So good. Congrats. Um, well, so, so you are going to tell me a story today. I am, and I'm really hoping that this isn't going to be a very long story, but wow, I, I found so much awesome information and I just couldn't, it's one of those where you just can't decide what to cut out. So maybe a little bit long, but we'll see. 
I'll, I'll do my best. I'm but here for you. We are continuing our theme of November-born serial killers, and I decided on Charles Raymond Starkweather for my story this week. As we were talking about, this was our theme, and we kind of noticed that a lot of the November serial killers have been talked about a lot, but hopefully I've added enough to my story that you'll you'll find some its and bits that you did not know previously. So that's my goal. Um, but yeah, I, and I was also I was also really happy that I was able to find more information than I usually do um, on the victims and who they were. So that makes me happy because sometimes I can't find that information or there's just too many and it's really hard. So, but I, I just have to say that this guy should definitely not be idolized and remembered the way that he was as rock and roll's first serial killer. His legacy, like those of many others that we talked about, has also been um, unfortunately cemented firmly in history in movies and songs and books based on the tragic events that I'm going to tell you about tonight. He was kind of one of those, uh, this was back in like the 50s, so he was like this James Dean, you know, mm. rebel without a cause type follower. So if you can picture, and I've got some pictures for you too, so. But as for my sources, there are quite a few. My favorite being uh, the Lincoln uh, the Lincoln Journal Star out of Nebraska because, because they were the ones that featured several of the articles focused on the victims. But you can find the rest of my sources and their links on the website. Uh, and we'll probably be doing that from now on. So just please note that those will be listed and readily available. Okay, so here we go. You ready? I'm ready. <laughs> okay. Charles Raymond Starkweather was born on November 24th, 1938, the third of seven siblings. His family was a working-class family, and they had their financial struggles. His father, Guy, was well-mannered. He worked as a carpenter, but was often unemployed due to his rheumatoid arthritis flare-ups in his hands. So his wife, Helen, would often supplement the family's income, working as a waitress. Charles had been born with a mild birth defect that caused his legs to be misshapen. And so he was often teased for his bow-leggedness and his speech impediment during his younger school years. He was often bullied and ridiculed. As he grew into his teen years, however, he became uh, much stronger and excelled at gym, where he would find a physical outlet for his rage against those that bullied him. Eventually, he began to harbor rage for anyone he disliked. He became angry and envious of those that had more than he did, coming from such a poor family, and he developed a hatred for everyone, everyone who had more, everyone who had something that he thought he deserved. And it was said during his teen years that he went from being one of the most well-behaved teenagers in the community to one of the most troubled. His one high school friend, Bob Von Bush, recalled, and this is a quote, he could be the kindest person you've ever seen. He'd do anything for you if he liked you. He was a hell of a lot of fun to be around too. Everything was just one big joke to him, but he had this other side. He could be mean as hell, cruel. If he saw some poor guy on the street who was bigger than he was, better looking or better dressed, he'd try to take the poor bastard down to his size. So Charles dropped out of school at 16, and he took a job at a warehouse near Whittier Junior High School, where his new girlfriend, Carol Ann Fugate, attended. She was a young, 13 at the time, a pretty petite girl when they first started dating. He was actually introduced to her by her older sister that had also, they had also previously dated. He started stopping by and visiting Carol Ann daily after work. And one day, he tried to teach her how to drive. And she crashed his 1949 Ford into another car. Yikes. Guy, his father, was actually the legal owner, and so he had to pay the damages, and this caused a major argument to ensue, and Charles was ultimately kicked out of the house. Shortly after, he quit his job at the warehouse, and he became a garbage collector on minimum wage. It was at this time that he really started to think that his current situation determined how the rest of his life would look. 
he decided he wanted to be a criminal. And so he used his time on the garbage routes to scout out homes and plot bank robberies. One source claimed that he would yell, go to hell, and other obscenities to strangers and passersby on his route. Sounds like Sheila. Oh my gosh. <laughs> he decided that his personal philosophy was this. Dead people are all on the same level. What a life philosophy, huh? It's a fact, I guess. I guess it's a fact. I don't know about a philosophy. Late one evening, November 30th, 1957, he went to the local gas station in Lincoln, Nebraska, where he used to hang out, reading comic books and talking cars. He tried to get the gas station attendant, Robert Colvert, to sell him a stuffed animal on credits. Well, Colvert refused. Probably didn't do that. I mean, if you don't have the money, you don't have the money. I don't know. Did they used to do that back then? Did they do credit? I think there were some stores that did credit, but probably not, probably not like station. randomly. No. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So either way, he refused. He wasn't going to let this guy buy anything in, in the store. Um, it angered Charles as he wanted to buy a gift for his girlfriend. So he came back in with a shotgun on his last attempt to buy various small items. He probably tried many times to come in and buy this or that or whatever. Um, he returned around 3 a.m. on December 1st. And he held up Colbert for a measly $100 from the register. He then drove him to a remote area where Colbert was injured during a struggle, but ultimately shot in the head and left for dead. Robert was lovingly known as Bobby to his many uh, to many of his friends and family. He was easygoing and always laughing, and so much fun to be around. He was so young at 21, just back from serving in the Navy. He had a wife waiting for him at home and a baby girl on the way. So sad. Later that day, Charles walked into a thrift store and purchased shoes, a jacket, a few shirts, undershirts, and jockey shorts, all while Bobby Colbert's body was lying dead in a field. Police suspected that Bobby had been killed by a transient, and their investigation was unfortunately very minimal. But at the time, right? No cameras, 3 a.m. If anyone had seen or heard anything, they would have spoken up, is how I feel about that. So they, they really didn't have much to go on. Yeah, makes sense. So Charles confessed about the robbery to Carol Ann, but told her that someone else had killed the attendant. Whether she believed him or not, she didn't report him. So fast forward just a bit to January 21st, 1958. This is where it gets a little murky. Charles' story later changes quite a bit, and some believe public opinion could have affected the story as well, so keep that in mind. On this day, Charles went to visit his girlfriend, only to be met with refusal from her parents. They didn't like him and wanted him to stay away from her. She was at school at the time, reportedly. Starkweather would later say that she, in fact, was home the whole time. A fight broke out, and Charles fatally shot her stepfather, Marion Bartlett, in the head. He also shot and bludgeoned her mother, Velda Bartlett, with his rifle. And then there were conflicting reports of what happened to the two-year-old half-sister. But it doesn't really matter how she was killed. Just know that she was also brutally murdered. Carol claims that she tried to break up uh, break up with Starkweather on the 19th and that he wouldn't accept it. And when she arrived home and he told her that her family was being held hostage and that if she didn't cooperate with him, he would kill her as well as her family. So this is kind of where, like, the murky part comes in, right? Like, later on at trial, like, she said she wasn't there. He said she was. Was she a willing participant? Was she not? There's kind of conflicting stuff throughout the entire story. So the family, however, was not safe, as you already know. Their bodies were out back in the two small buildings behind the one-story home. Marion had been wrapped in newspapers and stuffed in the chicken coop, while Velda was wrapped in bedsheets and put in the outhouse. Sources vary, but it sounds like sweet buddy Jean was put into the cardboard box and was found in the outhouse with her mother. 
It's just awful. I honestly couldn't find much else out about the family. Velda was a homemaker who remarried Marion in 1954 and brought with her Carol Ann from a previous marriage. Uh, Marion was also a night watchman at Warner Brothers trucking firm. And of course, Betty Jean was only a toddler at the time with her whole life ahead of her. According to Starkweather, the two lived in the home for a further six days. Carol would tell visitors and concerned family members that the whole family was sick with the flu. Carol left a note on the door that stated as well, um, stated this as well, and she signed it Miss Bartlett, underlining it twice, and would later claim that it was a signal for help because her mother would have signed it Mrs. Okay, so I don't know if that's, but. Yeah, that's, um, it's I've a, heard this before, I'm curious. Have you? It's yeah. a little thin. So, but either way, the grandmother grew suspicious. She called the police, so they left. And uh, they left in Char Charlie's car, and they drove 15 miles out of town to Bennett, Nebraska, to the farm of the Starkweather's old family friend, August Meyer, on January 27th. When they arrived, their car became stuck in the mud, so they walked the rest of the way to the home on foot. Charles, his brother, and his father used to hunt on this property, right? They were friends with August. He was a quiet, gentle man, a lifelong bachelor. The sweet man offered his horses to the pair to help pull the car out of the mud. And while he led them to the barn, Charles shot him in the back of the head. He also killed his dog, beating him with his shotgun so brutally it caused the gun to break. Carol Ann would claim that it was at this point that she felt it was her only option to continue obeying Starkweather for fear of her own life. They continue on from the farm later that night, walking along the road when two local teens stopped and offered them a ride. Robert Jensen, 17, and Carol King, 16, were high school sweethearts. Robert was a cheerful boy and a jokester. He had a rough childhood, surviving polio and several bouts of pneumonia. He lost one of his two younger brothers to the illness. His mom would later write in a letter to the Lincoln Star saying, We watched our son come through all these things with never a word of complaint, only concern for the loved ones who worried over him. He developed into a cheerful, loving young man who saw only the good in people. And Carol was a cheerleader. She was an excellent student. She played volleyball and sang in the choir. She was smart, pretty, and kind. At first, Starkweather was charming, but once inside the car, he flipped the switch. He made Jensen drive to an abandoned storm cellar that was part of an old school building, if I remember one of the articles correctly. They said it was an old school building. So then he forced the couple into the cellar, shooting Robert in the head six times before turning to Carol and attempting to rape her, unsuccessfully. And it said this in many different different articles, as unsuccessfully, but doesn't really say, like, why. Like, she just was fighting and he... I don't, I don't know. Or if he just couldn't. Yeah. I don't know. It didn't say. Could be maybe why he was so angry. I don't, I don't know. You know, I feel like that's important. She was then shot in the head as well and stabbed in the abdomen and pubic area repeatedly. Now later, Starkweather would claim that Carol Ann flew into a jealous rage because of Charlie's attention and killed her. Carol Ann maintained that she stayed in the car the entire time. So I want to note here... The small farming community of Bennett was severely impacted by this senseless murder spree. In this small town of 380 people, panic would grip the entire community. People kept loaded guns and rifles close, and they didn't get much sleep. I mean, as you can imagine, right? They went out and they cleaned the stores out of bullets and guns and anything else they could to protect themselves. They were very scared. And then the next day, the junior high class of eight was now reduced to six kids. Can you imagine that? That's crazy. Like a like a like a, your class is eight people. They were like family. Yeah. I didn't know half the people in my class. It was huge. Yeah, me too. It was 
I mean, I feel bad. I look back at some of the things from high school and I see some of the people that were in, they're probably in my class or they were probably in some of my classes, but I, I just, maybe they were quiet I don't, or I don't really remember them all that much. But I mean, our class size was huge. Yeah, but I think when you're in school, you're so egocentric. You're only focused on yourself and your immediate maybe friend circle. But you wouldn't be that way with eight students Well, you don't have class. a choice. No. no, you would know everything about everybody inside and out. So I just, I can't. I can't imagine, but I mean, at this time there were no counselors or crisis teams to bring in, you know, to bring in back in those days. So the teachers and the students sat there and spent the whole day talking, counseling themselves. I mean, as you can imagine, I'm sure it was really hard. So, um, Charles and Carol Ann fled in Bennett's vehicle and drove, um, drove to the wealthy country club area of Lincoln, where they broke into the home of C. Laura Ward and his wife, Clara. Their son, Michael, was away at school at the time. And he was actually Carol Ann's age at 14 um, as well. The Wards loved to travel. They traveled the world as a family. Mr. Ward ran a successful business, enjoying fishing with friends and read everything he could get his hands on. He was known to be just a, just a wonderful man, amazing to his employees. Um, Clara played the piano, volunteered for the junior league, and called her only son, Mikey. As they entered the home, Starkweather killed the family dog to keep from alerting the Wards to their presence. This gets murky too, okay? Some say Charles killed the maid, Lillian Fensel, first, tying her up and stabbing her, then waited for the others to arrive home, which Clara arrived first, alone, and was stabbed to death as well. Then, Mr. Ward returned later that night, only to be shot and killed. Some sources claim they were both tied up, uh, Clara and the maid, and kept alive for a time. To me, either way, they were brutally murdered, and... Um, I guess it doesn't really matter in what order. I mean, nobody's really going to say, right? No, but the he stabbed and shot. So he stabbed the woman and shot the man. Yes. Yes. So, right? Two di- you're right. Two different yeah. two different MOs. That's it's actually different. very good yeah. to think about. Because in one, in one account, they said that they were the women were tied up, right? And they were kept alive for a time, and then they were killed, like I said. In another account, the maid was killed, and then... You know, like I said, she came home first, and then she was killed, and then, so... Well, there's all, there's an extra step of violence, it seems like, for women. Even her mother was shot and bludgeoned. Mm-hmm. Yes. The other teen was shot and stabbed. Mm-hmm. And then... I mean, there was even a little something about so, the... One of the articles that I read said that the two-year-old was actually alive for a while, but her crying and... Yeah, carrying on was irritating too much, Mm -hmm. and some say she was bludgeoned and stabbed as well. Others sources say just bludgeoned, but like I said, doesn't. Yeah, it was pretty. It's just interesting how it seems like the guys are shot, Mm -hmm. but there's an extra. There's a little extra for the women. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It's very good to note. Um, I did find out a little bit of information about Lillian too, so I wanted to share it. The maid, she was said to be timid and sweet. She was a woman that spent half her life working for the wards. Uh, Her nephew nephew would later say uh, they became like her adopted family. When word got out about the murders, he and his friends armed themselves as well and went out to track down the killers themselves. I'm sure there was a lot of that going on. Mm -hmm. A lot of people were like, we're just going to take matters into our own hands. These people are on the spree. The law enforcement hasn't, you know, because... At this point, do they feel like it's, it's linked? Like, are they tracking this as a spree? Do you know? I don't oh, know how well communication are in between towns at this point. I mean, yes. So at this point, they're they're kind of they're putting two and two together, and you'll see because 
right now after so after the murders take place at the ward home char uh charlie and carol ann left uh, left their house they stole their 1956 packard and they filled it with stolen jewelry again stolen jewelry hmm i wonder whose idea that was right missing carol ann the plan was to head for washington state where charlie's brother lived but once the ward's bodies were discovered, outrage and a huge uproar was caused in Lancaster County. There was a uh, there was a house by house search for the fugitives. The governor called in the National Guard, and the Lincoln chief of police called for a block by block search as well. So now, yes, everybody's looking for these people. This is something that doesn't happen in mm -hmm. this area. You know, this is everyone was terrified. When Charles realizes that uh, they know the make and model of the car they're looking for. They start looking for a new one. This is when they come upon uh, Merle Collison. Uh, he's a 37-year-old traveling shoe salesman. He was just trying to take a nap. This poor guy was, a, like a lot of these other people, was just at the wrong place at the wrong time. Merle was a loving husband and father with an infant son at home. He had also been a paratrooper in World War II. Now he's a shoe salesman, and he was basically traveling from his home in Great Falls, Montana, early that Monday morning, just to make some make some calls. Strike weather came upon his vehicle at the side of the road and after waking the man up proceeded to order him from the vehicle but fired a shot into the window breaking the window uh, and then he shot the man nine times. Nine? I mean a lot of this is such overkill right? Yeah, I mean yeah. he's shooting these people in the head but six to nine times? Mm -hmm. That's crazy. That's a lot of aggression. A lot. Starkweather later said that his gun actually jammed, and it was Carol Ann that performed the kill shots. He said that she was, and I quote, the most trigger-happy person he had ever met. Fugate would deny later ever killing anyone. The man's car, however, had a parking brake, which was something that Charles was unfamiliar with. He tried to restart the engine unsuccessfully, and what do you know, yet another good Samaritan stops by to help. I know all these good people stopping by to help and this is just right this is what we talk about all the time joe sprinkle was his name i like that that's that's a fun name sounds like a cartoon. joe sprinkle right or like someone that makes donuts mm -hmm. I mean, it sounds delicious mm -hmm. <laughs> um but he was just passing by he walked up to the you know to the car to see if he could help um and he noticed the body stuffed under the dashboard i mean they didn't even the guy's still in the car so charles pulls a gun on joe Sprinkle was, uh, he was a much larger man, and he ended up putting up a fight and managed to wrestle the gun from Starkweather. It was at this moment that the Natrona County Sheriff's Department, William Romer, arrived on the scene. Fugate left the car and ran to him, shouting, It's Starkweather! He's going to kill me! She was freaking out, frantic, screaming, acting like she was the hostage mm -hmm. in the situation. Was she? So Charles drove off in a 100-mile-per-hour car chase ensued through the streets of Douglas. A roadblock was immediately set up, but he blew right through it. This is the stuff that movies are made up, right? This is... This and Sprinkles is, alive. Sprinkles is alive. He was, um, you know, he was much bigger than, uh, than Charles, so he was able to wrestle. And I'm sorry, I go back and forth between Charles and Charlie. I don't know. I, I guess my, my brain just wants to say one or another. I guess you're not confused, I'm sure. Um, so yeah, so then officers start firing shots at the vehicle. They busted out the back glass, which caused Charlie to immediately slam on the brakes and surrender. The flying glass from the back actually nicks his ear, causing it to bleed. And he thought in that moment that he was shot. And I think, I thought this was kind of funny. 
County Sheriff Earl Heflin said, and I quote, he thought he was bleeding to death. That's why he stopped. That's the kind of yellow son of a bitch he is. He was basically just a coward to everyone. Yeah, yeah. You know, and he was. So the Wyoming DA agreed to defer the case to Nebraska pro- uh, prosecutors, even though Governor Simpson, as anti-death penalty as he was, agreed to sign the extradition papers, returning him to a state that he knew had no issue at all with the death penalty. So on January 31st, 1958, the trial began. Against Char- Charles's wishes, the defense tried for insanity. So I think I remember reading somewhere that he would, he just, he didn't want anybody to think that he was stupid or insane or dumb. He didn't want that, you know, he wanted to be this cool criminal, like he was famous. He knew that this was a big deal. So he didn't want anything to, to detract from that. Yeah. 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 So, um, so however, the jury didn't buy it. On May 23rd, 1958, he was found guilty and sentenced to death for the murder of Robert Jensen. So they really, they only tried him for that. That was it. But that was enough. He was executed in the electric chair on June 25th, 1959, at the age of 20, and he gave no last words. Um, And I I was trying to find this because I wanted to say that I read somewhere else that he was the last person to be executed in Nebraska. I feel like hmm. that's kind of been a theme in some of our, maybe the last person uh, I know. Or they Nick just was. missed it. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm pretty sure he, he was the last one. But don't quote me on that. I feel like I read that. Um, okay, so now let's talk about Carol Ann. At first, Charles said he kidnapped Carol Ann and said she had nothing to do with the murders. He said she was just, she was my hostage, right? But his story changed several times. He testifies um, at her trial saying that she was, in fact, a willing participant. As I noted throughout the story, some of those things came up at trial. Carol Ann Fugate always maintained that she was nothing more than a hostage and was unaware that her family was already dead and that she obeyed him to keep them safe. But this gets conflicting as hell because other sources talked about how she was in such a state of shock after surrender that she was sedated in the jail and she cried for her mother, wondering why she wasn't allowed to call home. The officer who shut out the car window, County Sheriff Earl Heflin that I mentioned earlier, initially believed that she was innocent. On the day that Charles was sent back to Nebraska, they informed her of the death of uh, her family, and it was reported that she broke down. So he thought, this girl's innocent. She truly didn't know. She was, she, you know, she was a hostage this whole time. However, the county sheriff, William Romer, who I also mentioned, the one that she ran to on the scene, had a different story. He stated that she admitted to him that she knew her family was dead, and she watched them die. And Earl Heflin backed this up by saying that when she was in custody, she had a clipping in her pocket of her family's murders. She was then charged with the murders. Yay! Mm-hmm. So Starkweather also changed his story at this time, as I mentioned, uh, saying that she was a, a willing participant. And when her trial began, he testified against her. She also became the youngest female in the U.S. history to be charged with first-degree murder. I mean, 14 Mm-hmm. That's, but we hear those stories still today. <sighs> we do. Boyfriends and their do girlfriends like killing her family. Or, yeah, it's not uncommon. No, but I think I think back then it was, or at least it was just uncommon for this entire spree to be happening. Because I don't think, I I don't think that even family annihilations were all that uncommon either like I feel like we feel like we're hearing about these more and more but one article that I read 
talked about how this one guy was remembering uh, remembering reading about this uh, this case and this trial and thinking that it was it was similar to some of the other things that he had read about where one was a family annihilator who murdered his whole family and then killed himself in the basement. This mm-hmm. was like right around that time. Mm-hmm. And another one was like a housewife who went crazy and did like God knows what. And so I kind of skimmed through that article, but I remember thinking like, huh, we it thought was this happening. was, it yeah, was happening then, mean, but maybe, yeah. maybe it wasn't reported on as much. Don't you feel like it's just been, been like more of a thing recently? Like, we've talked about it a lot I more recently. I do think it's been more of a thing recently, but I feel like it might be a certain type now. Maybe mm-hmm. that's why. It seems Maybe. like the family annihilator has a lot. All of them have a lot in common. Mm-hmm. Agreed. So Agreed. I think it's Almost just, like there's a profile for yeah, that Yeah, it's just different, I think. But, I mean, I all of the reading I've done, I've heard of both men and women killing their entire families mm. and moving to other countries or, mm. I mean, even way back when. Yeah, no. It was yeah. really common in the military, too. Yeah. I mean, I just think it was this, putting it together, and I think it was just this town at this time and this area was pretty, felt like a pretty safe place to be to everyone, you know, that lived there. So this was just this shock to everyone, not just Nebraska, but the whole nation this yeah. was obviously a very big deal but um totally lost my train of shot of where i was going with that so i'm just gonna keep going <laughs> but um but carol ann was convicted as an accomplice uh she the judge said that she had multiple opportunities to escape they sentenced her to life in prison however she was paroled in 1976 after serving only 17 and a half years she was said to have been a model prisoner, and after leaving Nebraska for Michigan, one source said that she was taken in by a young couple who befriended her in jail after seeing a TV special on her story. So they reached out to her and apparently wanted to give her a place to stay, which seems a little And why strange. didn't she get the death penalty? Uh, she didn't get the death penalty because of her age, I believe. Okay. I read that in one source, but... I didn't put it in there, sorry. No, but it makes sense. I figured it was either that, or I know a lot of times they they didn't give females the death penalty. Yeah, I think it might have been a little bit of a combination, but now I need to look and probably correct that in my next story, just so that I'm saying it correctly. I read it somewhere, and then I didn't put it in here, and now I don't want to tell you wrong, because I had, like, 28 different things that I was looking at, and I had to narrow my sources down, so you know how that is. Mm -hmm. When you're looking for one specific thing, and it's, it's buried... So, she w- uh, she has also since been married in 2007, and unfortunately in 2013, she and her husband were involved in a single vehicle accident. Her husband was killed, however, she survived with serious injuries and continues to live in Michigan today under the name Carol Ann Claire. In February of this year, actually, 2020, she tried a second time for a pardon. So, apparently this was her second pardon. I didn't write down when her first one was, but... Uh, Nebraska Nebraska's pardons board refused. They, the board voted three to three to nothing, um, a hard no, and denied her application. So Claire, now seventy six, she wrote in her pardon or her not her pardon but her um her application for the pardon that the perception that she knowingly and willingly participated in this murder spree is just, and I quote, too much for me to bear anymore. She said that, and I quote, receiving a pardon may somehow alleviate this terrible burden. She was denied. Despite having an ally and the granddaughter of the wards, she was, so so this, uh, the, the ward's granddaughter was convinced that Carol Ann was innocent after researching her grandparents' murders. However, and on the flip side, 
Dave Ellis, a relative of another victim, Carol King, was not convinced. He said that the wounds his cousin suffered, the partial mutilation um, that she suffered, pointed to female rage. Ultimately, the pardons board simply stated that it denied her application because what she was asking of them was so much more than the board could offer. That's not what a pardon board is for, they said. And regardless, uh, regardless of any of this, these two and whatever really transpired between them during this rampage completely shocked our nation, as I mentioned. This teenage killing spree will forever be cemented in pop culture. It's said that the movies Badlands and Natural Born Killers are among the more popular films based on the murders. And I think I read California. Wasn't that one with Brad Pitt? Mm -hmm. And if you want to hear it all summed up by the boss himself, listen to Bruce Springsteen. I actually watched... Uh, I watched it on VH1 Storytellers because I was trying to find it. Uh, the story, or not the story, the song Nebraska. He wrote that based on Starkweather's point of view of the events that occurred. And it's chilling and it's really sad when you know the story. When you know the whole story. So, yeah, but that is the story that I have for you. And what do you think? Do you think she. Oh, I absolutely think she's guilty. Yeah. I thought that, yeah. Mm -hmm. I think everybody did. And honestly, regardless of if a pardons board is going to say, sure, we'll pardon you, everyone has already made up their mind. Well, they already know the story. life that way. Yeah. So nothing's going to change. Nothing's going to change now. I mean, unless she just herself wants to be relieved of the guilt. It doesn't matter what anyone says at this point. I don't know that a piece of paper is going to do that for you. No. No. Wow, I hope I didn't talk really fast because I feel like I had a lot to say. And No, I think it was good. I think, yeah, no, I think it was really good. And I'm looking and it's probably my shortest story. And you thought it was going to be I thought it was going to be like an hour and a half long because <laughs> I had so much to say, but I think I summed it up I, well. I don't think I asked, asked many questions. That's probably why. I, I don't know, know that I gave you the opportunity to ask many <laughs> questions. <laughs> That's all right. It was, it was. Um, I'm, you know, I'm fascinated by like the couple, couple of killers. Oh like, yeah. They, We've got a few of those we need to save for like a, yeah. Like where they, like a theme month. Cause it's a weird one too. Just messed up minds like month. find each other. <laughs> yeah. True love. February. Spree kills by <laughs> yeah. couples. I don't know why I'm laughing. It's awful, but yeah. you know, there's so many things in life. If you can't laugh, you'll cry. So. I know. Unfortunately, sarcasm and laughing inappropriately <laughs> is my coping mechanism. And if you know me, you know that. <laughs> so I do. It's I, not insulting at all. No. It's just I think it's mine too in in certain certain circumstances for sure. But yeah, I know. I mean, I just thought that was really interesting and I for sure want to say that I thought she was guilty. She was guilty. And she you're right, there were two different no. MOs. Oh, yeah. Yeah, right. And there're two different MO. Like, come on. Mm-hmm. Caroline. And she could have left at any point. Yeah. She could have also picked up that gun. She wrote a note. Yeah. So. They stayed there. They stole jewelry. I mean, no. To go this long and to sit in jail and not tell anyone? I mean, maybe. She, maybe I just didn't find... Well, but she's out. Yeah, no, I know. But, I mean, just to maintain your innocent story for all this time. Not change your story. People probably don't ask. Maybe. I mean, it, I mean, of, of course, those officers said she said two different things. So, I mean, but 
who knows? Who knows? At yeah. the end, that was like right at when everything happened. She probably didn't know what to do. And I read somewhere else too that uh, someone that was at the trial said she was she was cold and they were both just cold and chilling and didn't look like they had any remorse for anything that happened whatsoever. I remember reading that too. Whatsoever. Like very like snide and like mm-hmm. almost arrogant. As very what, arrogant. Yeah, as what it seemed like. Like they were above everybody and mm-hmm. it was very yeah. Even remember. Charles' father said uh, she should have been sitting on his lap that day when he was executed. Yeah. I that. That's, I mean, you don't, you don't say those things unless mm. you know what you know. And maybe she was manipulated. I mean, she was pretty young, but. Yeah. That, that was harsh. That's a hard, that's a hard call for that. I mean, it's just whole... two crazies that found each other. I guess. So if you want to watch uh, any of those movies to kind of see. Oh, I hated those... Natural Born Killers. I never saw it. Oh, it's awful. Really? I mean, I think it won a lot of awards, but it was just, I mean, I obviously talk a lot about murder, <laughs> but it was, uh, it was like disgusting. Oh. It was just like slap happy killing. Like from what I remember just being, really? yeah, it was. Who directed it? Uh, Quentin Tarantino? Right? <laughs> it I sounds feel like, that like sounds it sounds like, like no. Something I mean, do. it was a long time ago. And I remember. I don't even think I even finished it because it was just so obnoxious. Hmm. Okay. I haven't seen. I did watch the trailer for Badlands because I was interested to see because it was Martin Sheen and Sissy Spacek. Yeah. And then at that point, when I watched it, I realized how far cinema has come because that was really that old. Was it was like 1973, ago. and I yeah. thought, wow, I don't even think I could watch that. No, I couldn't. No. You would have to duct take me to the chair. But <laughs> so. I do, I am going to listen to the Bruce Springsteen song. Yes. Well, you know thank what? you for we'll listening to it right after. You're yeah. welcome. And I'll have to show me pictures. So I think that uh, that wraps up this week. And you know what? We, we really haven't asked, uh, I don't think in a, in a while, but now that we are on our 10th plus, I think I feel like, episode at this point. I think so. I don't yeah. Know. I feel like that. I feel like this, yeah. 10 are we on 10 I think um you know if you if you've enjoyed the show and you uh you know you feel it in your heart to take a moment I know you're busy you got a lot of stuff going on but just hop on to iTunes or wherever you listen or I think we're supposed to call it Apple podcast now hop on and give us five stars give us a review or shoot us an email or a note or something and tell us what you think even we accept criticism or anything The only like way that. we'll grow is exactly. if we hear the good and the so, bad. So I, my feelings might get hurt, but I'll accept it. Yeah, it's it's fine. We know that you, hopefully you would do it out of love and help us out a little <laughs> bit. But, we'll, we'll, you know. So, all right. So until, uh, yeah, until next time. We'll see you later. Yeah. Bye-bye.